0: I'm um, quite excited about um, doing this series on the minor prophets. Um, I'm also a little bit um, sort of depending on God to make it and um, come alive, because um, it's um, it's quite. I think it's quite a thing to set out on um, a series like this. But I feel as though God is going to speak to us, and um, and we need to, to to wait on Him and to ask Him to help us um, if He's going to do that. Because that's what he does in his, in his own grace and mercy. And we don't want um, just to be wasting our time. So I'm going to encourage you to read um, the, the minor Prophets at Home. We're going to deal with one at a time. And we're going to deal with the whole prophet in one go. So we'd, we've got 12 sessions. And they'll be interspersed with other things. So we've got 12 sessions. And that's the challenge for each person who speaks. Um, because we sort of say 25 minutes is enough. Sorry when we go over that. Which we do sometimes, but 25 minutes is supposed to be max because we think that's enough. So um, ideally, we'll have 25 minutes on each of the minor prophets, and uh, we'll bring out something that God is saying to us for our day. And I'm introducing. So, um, if it goes wrong time-wise today, that's because I'm introducing and covering the lot. <laughs> just an um, early apology. We'll just start <laughs> Yeah, like they did at the Prophets. (laughs) (laughs) Great, thank you, Steve. Um, So we're going to start, I hope, um, with a presentation as our introduction to the Twelve, as they're sometimes called. Oh. Okay, I sent it to. I did send it to Joe. Okay, fine. So, um, so that's a bit of a shame. Um, so, it's a colourful presentation which gives pictures um, quite um, briefly of the world today. Um, it gives pictures of um, uh, the the experience of the godlessness of the world it gives pictures of idolatry examples of idolatry and idols and idol worship not just in actual idols um, but in um, in modern ways of idolatry and in past ways worshipping money and the football stadiums which are built like cathedrals used to be built and so on and so on it gives pictures of the poor a mistreatment of the poor the hungry. It gives um, pictures which sort of show dishonesty and lies that go on in our world today. It shows pictures of war with great armies marching on the march and violence, soldiers in action um, as they are today in different parts of the world. We're protected from so much of it, it shocks us when we see it on our television screens. It gives examples of poor stewarding of the earth that results in erosion, in dust bowls, in climate change, and that in turn results in poverty and famine. And every one of those images, every one of those pictures, when you look at them, you can see with clarity that it is all the result of choices made by human beings. And the presentation is called Chaotic World, An Introduction to the Minor Prophets. Chaotic world. And we feel, I'm sure, at the moment as if we are living in a chaotic world. And I think we need to have a balance because our lives are not necessarily chaotic. They can be. And we have to, with God's grace, prevent the chaos in the world coming into our own lives. We should be living and can live at peace with God when everything around us is total chaos. So um, following the presentation, I have a question. Who are the minor prophets? So first of all, a prophet is someone who delivers a verbal message for someone else. Um, put, put it as simplest, if I say to Liz, um, can you go over um, to the chip shop and say, um, not you want for yourself, but say, um, a guy over there is asking you to give me some chips to give him. She's being my prophet. That's, put it as simplest. The prophets in scripture are Men who are speaking on behalf of God. Though those of you who know this, it's sort of hidden away there, will know that God said to Moses, because Moses says, I can't speak to Pharaoh, that Aaron could be Moses' prophet. He could do that job. Okay? So um, there is an example in scripture of, of a prophet on behalf of another person. But almost always when we think of prophecy, we think of prophets who are speaking what God has to say. Now, this is very, very, very important. People today, when they read um, the prophets, uh, might say, um, that's rubbish. This, this explanation of the world is just, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. And, and we as Christians, we really, were are committed, committed to it, aren't we? Thinking this is God speaking. But I just want to say that in the day when they spoke these messages, very few people believed that they were being true prophets of God. They didn't believe the message. You can see that when Stephen, in the New Testament, just before he's killed, preaches to the crowd. Peter, Peter does it a bit as well. And they accuse the Jews of killing the prophets, of disobeying the prophets, of ignoring the prophets. So don't think, oh, that used to be believed. No, it didn't used to be believed. The prophets were persecuted for speaking out what they said God was saying about the situation. People said, that's rubbish. This isn't God doing this at all. And they carried on in their, in their um, old ways. And I really want us to take note of that. So the Hebrew Bible which is a lot older than um, the New Testament, contains a scroll, because um, it was um, written in scrolls, and it's called the scroll, um, it's called the twelve, the twelve. And it's about the same size as the prophecy of Isaiah, which we most of us know is 66 chapters in our Bible, it wasn't chapters then, but it's, it's a very long book. So the twelve altogether was about as long as Isaiah. So, the 12 prophecies that make up that scroll are called the lesser or the minor prophets. Not because they're less important, but because what they have to say is much shorter. That is the sole reason for it. And our Old Testament, if you look at your Bible, you'll see that it ends with the 12 in separate books. Mostly Almost certainly named after the people who, who 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 are the named prophets, but not necessarily all of them. And those prophecies, those twelve prophecies, cover approximately four hundred years. So it isn't the last things that happened in the Old Testament. It's not history at all. And some of those prophecies were given. Um, long before alongside um, the early kings for example and we'll hear more about that as we go through them and I expect people will just give, give quickly um, a bit of information about their, their time and who they were speaking to they, they, they were prophesying during the periods of the Assyrian Empire the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire and they were prophesying mostly before the northern kingdom Of Israel went into captivity and before the southern kingdom Judah went into captivity at a later date and then some of the prophecies are given when Judah returns really the Israelites didn't return clearly the northern kingdom people didn't return in a clear way I'm sure a lot of them did return but Judah did and that's why they come to be called the Jews Now I'm going to read um, one of the prophecies. I'm going to read the one that we take the overall title from. The overall title of this series is Act Justly, Love Mercy, Walk Humbly. And um, if I read this passage that that word occurs in from um, the prophet, you will see um, something of very clearly of how the prophets work. So here we go. I'm going to read um, chapter 6 of Micah. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. Also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted. What Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Here's Micah. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, like they did in the daily sacrifices? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Will that quieten him down? Will that take away his anger at us? With 10,000 rivers of oil, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then these great words come. He's shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? None of that stuff. This is what the Lord requires of you. To act justly. To love mercy. To walk Humbly with your God. Is that beyond any of us? Poor and rich, educated, uneducated, to act justly, to love mercy to walk humbly listen the lord is calling to the city and to fear your name is wisdom heed the rod and the one who appointed it am i still to forget your ill-gotten treasures you wicked house and the short ether which is accursed shall i acquit someone with dishonest scales am i going to let somebody off who cheats and pretends that they're selling something to somebody and they're actually selling less and they cheat with a bag of false weights. Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up but save nothing because what you save I will give to the sword. You will plant but not harvest. You will press olives but not use the oil. You will crush grapes but not drink the wine. You have observed the statutes of Omri. And all the practices of Ahab's house in their idle practice and their infanticide and, and all the terrible things that they had done. you followed their traditions. Therefore I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. Micah chapter 6. So, what was the role or the ministry of the prophets? This it's the same for all, but we're doing the minor prophets. But it's the same for Isaiah and Jeremiah and so on. And I've just got um, a few things here that I think are sum everything up. The first thing that the prophets did and set out to do, as in this part that I've read from Micah, was to expose the sin of God's people. To try to make them realise how they were living in a wrong way, in a way that was against God's ways. And how that led to chaotic living. (coughs) Their sin was against God. For example, worship of other gods. Came up in the psalm that Liz read as well as in Amos. Idolatry, not quite the same as worshipping other gods, necessarily. They overlap. Sabbath-breaking. Think about it. Those of you who know the Ten Commandments, that's the first four commandments. The sin was also, and this is what God is expressing very much through Micah and through the other prophets, Sin against each other. This was so important to God who loves and has compassion and who's made us all. For example, injustice. Mistreatment and exploitation of the poor. These are all common themes in the prophets. Lending at high interest rates. Sexual immorality. Unfaithfulness. Violence. And and, and all this... All of it is against the partnership agreement that God had made with Abraham and then with Israel as a nation through Moses in bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. Micah refers to that in the chapter that I've read. And breaking the covenant agreement that God made with King David later we do have to just get hold of this idea of covenant. So a covenant is an agreement, but it's a special sort of agreement that brings about a partnership. And it's a really wonderful thing. We think of marriage as a covenant between two people. But God's covenant was God in his grace, in his love, making a partnership with people he wants partnership with everybody and in order to bring that about he started off with abraham promising him his blessings and blessing for all the world and then with moses and god gave moses a law so that the people could understand how they were to live in black and white summed up in the 10 commandments but the Ten Commandments isn't just commandments, it's a covenant, and we often miss this. It starts off both in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Exodus 20 with the words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. It starts with the gospel. It starts with God's grace. It starts with God doing something for his people, giving them freedom, redeeming them, bringing them out of problems into a new life so uh, having exposed their sin absolutely really clearly the prophets did it you know you can see why people didn't like them and turned against them the people then the prophets then secondly urged god's people to repent to turn around They'd been brought out of Egypt, they'd been saved, they'd been redeemed, they'd been given freedom, they'd been given a new life, they'd been promised a new land. And they were supposed to be walking in partnership with God so they could show everybody just what it was like to walk in God's ways and how blessed they would be. And so, The prophets urge God's people to repent. They're not living like that at all. They're living like the people around them. Come on, turn around. Come back to God, the prophets say, again and again and again. Keep your side of the agreement, the partnership, the covenant. You've been rescued from slavery in order to establish God's kingdom and rule on earth. Keep your side of it. God's purpose is for everyone to live in peace and harmony, in love. For everybody to play a part in looking after the world and the earth. So that instead of chaos, there's peace and beauty and plenty. And so they urge God's people to repentance. And to coming back to God as they have drifted away from him. And then thirdly, the prophets warn of judgment. We had that in the passage in Micah as well. Now, I want to just say something about judgment because it comes across very, very harshly in the prophets. Puts, you know, we had, a lot of people have a serious problem with it. And they put off reading the Old Testament because of expressions about the judgment of God. And, and I don't think the prophets put this in the way that I'm going to, but it's there. So this is what I want to say today. And we look back through Jesus and through the cross and through the way in which Jesus taught about the Old Testament. We don't have to be looking at this and we shouldn't be looking at this as if we are back there with them. We're looking through the lens of the cross of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus And this is what we as Christians looking through the cross know. We know that God is love. He is love. We know that God is good. It's not that God always does good. He is good. God cannot not love. God cannot not be good. He is complete goodness. And if God punishes, his punishment only ever comes out of his righteous justice, his love, his goodness. And I really felt every day as if I knew what this meant when I was responsible for running a school. Because I knew that if somebody did something that was wrong, you know, perhaps beat somebody up, did something that stands out. All eyes would be on me. And I could show as much compassion and love as I liked to the community in acts of kindness and so on. But if I didn't deal appropriately with what had happened and with the person who was responsible for it, I would not be looked upon by that community, as someone who loved, cared, and had compassion for them. It would end. Therefore, I had to exercise judgment and punishment in a way that was appropriate so that the one who'd been hurt and their parents felt that justice was done, and the rest of the community felt that justice was done, and the one who was the culprit didn't feel that he was unfairly dealt with and overpunished. And his parents didn't feel that. You know, otherwise letters start flying around in a head teacher's office. And they really, really do. So I had to give punishments out of love and compassion and justice. And God would not be a God of love and God would not be good if he didn't do that. And we, as those who fear God, trust God, follow God, we believe that his his judgment is always just, is always righteous. And look, he died on the cross. He paid the price for sin. Next week, Liz is speaking on the subject where love and justice meet. But now, there are a lot of things, the majority of things that we do that are against God's laws have built in. They have built in ways of bouncing back on people. And punishing them. So, if I say to you, more likely a child, Lottie, don't put your fingers in that socket. And they do. I haven't given them punishment when they get an electric shock. If I say, don't play with matches, I haven't given them a punishment when everything goes up in flame. If God says, look after the earth, and we don't, he hasn't caused the flooding, the ice caps to melt, and all the disasters that are going on in the world. There's a sort of natural justice in most things. And the reason is because God knows, and God doesn't tell us to do anything that doesn't have a good reason behind it. It's for our good. It's for the good of us as individuals and communities and everybody. And if we all followed God's ways, we would live without chaos, in harmony and peace. So there's that, those two ways of looking at judgment. And when I read the prophets, I think, and they're saying, oh, God does this, I think, well, okay, okay. Okay, I wouldn't quite put it like that, Micah. I'd say um, that's coming back at themselves as a result of what they've done. You know, violence. You attack somebody, they don't think the justice is going to be done, so they get you back, but usually they try to get you back worse. And then you get them back, and you try to get worse. So you're in a spiral. And so many things go on like that in our world today and it's going on before our very eyes with leaders of nations in our world. Warning of judgment. Now the prophets always held out hope and Christian hope, hope in the Old Testament carries a certainty with it for those who believe it's about those who believe not for others they don't believe it the prophets always held out hope God's love God's grace giving us what we don't deserve God's mercy holding back from us what we do deserve in the way of punishment or whatever God's Love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's justice will win through. Always. That's the message in the Minor Prophets. You might stop reading a book before you get to the end and miss it. There is always hope. And what is more, they anticipated the coming of Messiah. The Redeemer who would bring order out of chaos. Who would bring them a new freedom from whoever they were under and they hoped for it you know, as they went through captivity and whatnot and under the Romans, it came. Did they believe it? No. They didn't accept Jesus as a whole but of course the early church was Jewish. Don't ever forget that. But in a national way, they still haven't recognised it. So this anticipation of the coming of Messiah, the Redeemer who will bring chaos out of order, is really, really important. And there are several clear references to this and I'm going to read one now from chapter 9 of Zechariah this is so beautiful listen to this this is from a minor prophet rejoice greatly daughter Zion shout daughter Jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece and make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. And so on. Over the page. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. On that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land. They will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both the prophets and the spirit of impurity from the land. And if anyone still prophesies, their father and mother to whom they were born will say to them, you must die because you've told lies in the Lord's name. Then their own parents will stab the one who prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of their prophetic vision. Because they're false prophets. They will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. And so on. And then we have um, these... These words. I've got to get this. Um, Chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me. Now, just listen to this. This is several hundred years before Jesus comes. They will look on me... The one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The land will mourn, each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves, the clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, and so on. They'll look on him who they've pierced, and God's grace will be poured out. And you couldn't read that to anybody who knows about Jesus and his death without them saying, well, that's a reference to Jesus. And you say, well, if it's written several hundred years before Jesus comes. The prophets always hold out hope and their greatest hope is of Messiah who will come to bring God's grace fully by taking on himself the sin of the world and dying in order to cleanse from sin and impurity. So maybe you sort of see why we're looking at the prophets today and we want to do this series. You know, they really do offer an explanation of the chaos that we see in our world today. Read rightly. Read rightly. With the help of the Holy Spirit, read um, by those who understand and alongside somebody who understands, we can see that they expose sin and they expose our sin. And we are rather like Israel at times, getting caught up in things around us that are not of God at all. Living for ourselves making idols of whatever it is that takes over from God in our lives. And as we go through the prophets, we could well feel uncomfortable that we are having our own failings exposed, our failings towards God and our failings to each other. And they point to God's love and grace that we see in the gospel, and we know the gospel, and the minor prophets didn't. So we don't pretend that we're not looking at the gospel. We look right at Jesus Christ and the gospel, and at the partnership that He brings us into through Jesus Christ, through the cross. God says, I want you to be my partners, I want you to trust in Jesus Christ. I want you to receive forgiveness from me because Jesus Christ has taken your sin and borne it. I want you to walk with me. I want you to help me to fulfill my purpose on earth because I'm not doing it on earth. You are doing it for me in partnership, hand in hand with me. And so the prophets encourage us all To do all that we can to extend God's kingdom on earth. We are the church. We are the people of God. It's our calling. It's our responsibility. It's our partnership with God. To reach out with the gospel of Christ. To the needy world around us. To heal broken lives through the gospel. To prepare ourselves and others to serve God and to serve others. This is living in the new covenant that looks back to the perfect life and world-saving death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they warn of judgment and we need to hear that. The natural consequences of not following God's way breakup of relationships that follows through not following God's way don't some of us really know about that the illnesses that come about through not following God's way you know greed there's there's all sorts of consequences that follow our choices and if we're following God's way they won't happen And so, that warning of the judgment of God, which is very natural, never mind thinking about punishment from God, is great to be reminded of. And perhaps we don't do it enough. And then, if we follow God's way, we will find that within our own communities, there is peace and harmony. And we do enjoy that to a very, very great extent. Because we are following Jesus. And it's so beautiful. And then finally, the prophets declare hope. Hope. God is gracious. He will win through. However tough life might be now for us, for our families, for our friends. God will win through. There's the promise of Jesus being with us to the end of the age. There's the promise at the end of the age that Messiah will finally put everything right and set up his eternal kingdom rule. And let's end with that because um, Revelation is rather like a closing prophecy in the Bible. And um, I'm just going to finish by reading verses 16 to 17. It echoes um, words in the Minor prophets. And um, we look forward to this as God's people. And it's so worth walking hand in hand with him now. All the blessings that brings, don't we know it? And all the hope that we have in front of us. And so the last chapter of the Bible, I'm going to read these these words. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, And the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life.